Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 197, So Say We All, recorded June 14th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining this me this week are both your intrepid co-hosts, they are all here with us. The command line father, uh, God, command line godfather, Chris Neves and Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everybody, and I hope everyone's having a great day because I know today is a nice day for me. And welcome, one and all, to our quaint little recording. <laughs> oh, isn't that quaint? Episode 197, we're nearing... 200, in case you didn't notice. 197 is close to 200. Yeah. Um, yeah, we need to have like a 200 spectacular, a big bicentennial special. <laughs> okay. Um, sure. That's a fine <laughs> idea, Baba. You plan it, and I'll show up. Uh, yeah. My, one uh, of my, I'll be with you. One of my daughters asked me today uh, how many podcasts I had done. Went back and did the math, and altogether, it's it's over 500 um, podcasts. Wow. And... This one, this one is our longest-lived show by by a pretty good margin. So, uh, well, yay, Linux fans or Go almost Linux fans. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is going to be a listener feedback show because I've been, you know, storing some stuff up in the Linux feedback coffers. Um, I recently ticked people off more so than normal, so we've got a, a batch there. Uh, plus, I've, it's just some things I've been saving, and it's been a while since we did one of these. So I think uh, I didn't count them, seven or eight uh, bits of feedback that I'm sure there will be plenty of opportunities for us to uh, comment on uh, as we go. But uh, first off, potential good news, potential bad news. The Martian, one of my favorite books and one of many people's favorite books, is uh, coming to the big screen with uh, Matt Damon as the lead. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, came across this promo and I was like, oh, sweet. It looks like they're doing it good. I can't. Um, I put two links in there. One is the trailer that they release. And then another is they kind of did like, and you've seen them like shuttle crews and stuff. They kind of do the introductions to everybody. And so they kind of did one of those for this. I'm really looking forward to it. Love the book. I've raved about the book on this show. Go back to those podcasts. And uh, I think I'm going to rave about the movie. This is the next must-see movie for me coming out. Now, we know that the the movie can't be like the book. It's two different types of storytelling. Everybody who's yep. ever seen a movie based on a book always says, well, that that's so different than the book. It has to be. It's just a different way to tell stories. It's and, a different right. medium. And if they took the book and just filmed it, it would be boring. Because it's ninety percent uh, mission logs and ten percent people talking about you know what they're looking at on camera, it would be incredibly boring. So they have to change it. I just hope that they they stay true to the spirit of it and and the science of it. Um, I, I I can't remember where it was. Um, somebody said if you saw that uh, a, a scene in Apollo thirteen. And where the guy dumps all the stuff out on the table and says, this is what you've got and this was, is what you've got to do. If you saw that scene and said, I wish there were a two and a half hour movie of this, The Martian is for you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, there's a, instead of just kind of being the mission log, there's a really good chance to explain it and to kind of play up the parts back home. Um, right. It just, 
have have you seen the trailer yet? I have. Yes. You yeah. have? Okay. Uh, did you see the little promo thing? I didn't see it's that. It's more just no. background. Of course, the, the, the promo, major spoilers from the book, uh, just right there in the promo. So all, that's already, you know, if there's going to be any mystery, they have to be telling a very different story. The same story, but in a different way, I should say. Right. Well, yeah, but I, like I say, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really good. I'm going to shell out money to see it. I will see it in IMAX, you know, 3D if I have to. Uh, right. I'd rather not. But, yeah, I, I, plan, I plan for this to be a full-on send the kids to the sitter and and make this an event sort of thing. Cause I, but go. I love the book that much. Um, has, your I, wife, has you, have your wife read the book yet, Mark? She has not, no. Um, and I, oh, honestly, okay. I don't think she would enjoy the book. It's not her style. Yeah. But a movie based on the book might be. We'll just have to see. You know, I did that I just, with, with Ender's Game. I made an event out of Ender's Game and left the movie going, Meh, this really wasn't worth a sitter. Um, <laughs> so I hope I don't I hate have that, when that experience. Happens. Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've been I've watched several interviews and talks that the author has given. Um, I'm re- downloading another one with um, Adam, the guy from Mythbusters. Yep. Uh, I just downloaded that to watch it later. Uh, I really like that it, podcast, by the way. Oh, really? The Untitled Project, Adam Savage, good podcast. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Looks looks exciting. So, Chris, you have some news or or <laughs> some ordeals. It may be as difficult as surviving yeah. on Mars for four years. It might be. Uh, yeah, we just started bidding on a house, so. You may uh, you may end up sometime tonight losing me for a couple of minutes to go sign paperwork as uh, the bids and counter bids have been going back and forth all afternoon. So, yeah, it uh, should be interesting. And when I move into my new place, um, if we get this one, I'll have a little room that I'm going to put up some sound dampening stuff and make it a more studio ish type of place. Should be kind of cool. I uh, the I bought my first house. 18 or so years ago now um and i'm not kidding you the second that we moved in and the next morning needed major plumbing repairs cost me hundreds <laughs> of dollars so i was like welcome to the land of home ownership yep uh that's i'm worried about that that's my biggest fear is that we're gonna get the house we're gonna have everything moved in and then two weeks after we're you know have everything out of the apart the rental and into the our real house Something bad is going to happen, and then I'm going to be like, "Well, we're kind of up against the wall now." Right. It's yeah. on us. It's it's yours now. Congratulations! Yep. I'm renting yeah. now, uh, and I don't like the fact that I'm renting. I need to sell my house in Texas. Anybody want to buy a house in uh, Northeast Texas? Uh, let me know. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm renting that one, and I'm to somebody, and I'm renting this one here from somebody. And I don't like that. My money is going nowhere, and and really, it's a losing transaction. What I'm paying in rent here doesn't isn't equaled by what I'm getting in rent there and, and all that. But the last summer when the air conditioner went out and all it cost me was the price of a phone call, times like this, renting is a pretty nice thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you can That's always get I'm like the homeowner's warranty, Chris. Yes, I encourage yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be getting all sorts of insurance and stuff like that I can possibly get. Um, I'm definitely, like I said, oh, like I've always said, I'm not afraid of buy, of paying for things. Um, and warranty work and insurance type things are definitely high on that list usually. 
Um, and just this doesn't mean anything to anybody but me. But uh, today, uh, this week in history, uh, will be the week I left Texas and came to Georgia. It happened on uh, July, uh, June fifteenth. Tomorrow would have been my final day at my old job, and June eighteenth, Thursday, would have been my first day um, here in Atlanta. So a little mi- minor mi- personal milestone. Great. Yeah. Now I've got to get a new This Week in History. He <laughs> <laughs> you stole your thunder there, Seth. Yeah, three years ago. So I have I have been a Georgia resident. I will never be a Georgian, but I am a Georgia <laughs> resident and have been for three years. So let's move on to the listener feedback. Uh, first off, this is total press release. I doubt the guy even listens to the show, but... I don't care. Vince would like to introduce you to Chapeau. Hello to all at EDL and Element OP. This weekend sees the release of Chapeau, codenamed Endurian. Chapeau 22 is a polished, fuss-free remix of the Red Hat Community Software Distribution Fedora workstation that fuses the power of Fedora project with the best end-user experience for general users available based on Fedora and GNOME. You can find out more about Chapeau at chapeaulinux.org. Uh, so great. Hmm. I've never heard of it before today. Have you? I haven't either. And this is I'm looking at their website right now. I mean, it, it uh, maybe I don't know how customized it is, but it's interesting. Yeah, I, I got no problem uh, with somebody uh, um, improving the desktop of Fedora. The Fedora desktop took a dump in like version six and has never recovered. So um, I'm glad I'm glad somebody's doing that. Uh, but I've never heard well, of this thing. I haven't either, and uh, you know, but this you could go on that same thought line when you look at um, oh, what was that other Fedora based? The name just left me. I reviewed it, a quick review the last time I was on the show. Um, me something? I don't pay that much attention to you, frankly. I don't know. Oh, gee, thanks. No, it's uh, Corora. That's it. Oh yeah. Because Corora is supposed to supposedly doing that, so it'd be interesting to see what the difference is between Corora and Chapeau. 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 I, I believe that's French for house. Uh, okay, if you say so. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I'm going with. That's my story. I'll uh, do it. I'll put it on the I'll put it on the blocks, and we'll see how it looks on my little laptop, and it'll be interesting to see. Because I'm getting ready to, I was getting ready to go try the new version of Peppermint OS, just just to see what the new changes for that. Um, so don't forget, you promised to uh, review one a while back um, from a guy about a thing. You remember that one? Let me see if I can pull that email up really quickly. It was. I don't remember the name of it, was, but yeah, I remember it. It was. Come on, Mark. It was. Oh, Come on. Search. I must, I must have deleted it. I'll have to go find it. But uh had an Indian-sounding name. Um, yeah, I remember I said I would look at it, and then I didn't write the name of it down, and I forgot it. So maybe I'll do a back a couple of notes. Here it is. Notes. Han- Hathana. Hathana 21. Um, Can you send that to me in the chat so that way I have it? Uh, how about I just forward you your own message where you said you would do it? Oh, well, that would work too. <laughs> so you got to put that one on the list because you kind of said right. that you would. Well, well, I'll do that one first, and then I'll do the other one. 
I'll make a sticky so I have all my to dos. Man, this is the kind and of I'm, and seri- I'm gonna be moving. Yeah. This is gonna be. <laughs> this is the kind of serious preparation we do for this show, folks. We literally make it up as we go. Um, yeah, it's funner. It's funner that way. Funner. Okay. It's funner. Yeah. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Chris, uh, not this Chris, offers some love for Ubuntu Mate. First off, love the show. Secondly, the shows lately haven't been bad, but I'm missing the team. I'm looking forward when the show is back to running on all three cylinders. So, thanks, Chris. This is your show, and yep. we're responding we're- to you. So, it's all about you today, Chris. Um, but not me, the other Chris. Right. Uh, he <laughs> says, now to inject some Linux into the show. I hate oh. when people do that. Man, uh, that fails it. Backstory. I've played with Linux off and on for about 13 years. I've never really successfully transitioned completely to Linux for more than a brief while for a variety of reasons that I'll not bore you with. In my personal opinion, the closest Linux came to the year of Linux desktop was back when Vista was crushing all hope of a decent computing experience. I built a new computer and I flat out refused to buy a copy of Vista, so I was for a brief while able to get spousal approval for Ubuntu. This was back in the days of GNOME 2. Eventually, I was encouraged to put Windows XP on the computer <laughs> since I still had a legal copy of that. Years passed and where, uh, where I was stuck in the Windows world. Babies, new house, new jobs, you know, real life, were more important than tinkering with computers. Fast forward to today. My wife and I each have our own laptop, so spousal approval is not a factor. The computer came with Windows 8, and I hate it. I've installed Ubuntu slash Mint with a variety of desktop managers, and I even went back to Windows for a while. About two or three months ago, I downloaded and installed the Windows 10 Preview. At first, I was even a little impressed with Windows 10. It would be better if they didn't have any of the putrid stink of the Windows 8 start screen. But all throughout my Windows experience, I kept having issues with the computer just freezing up and hanging for periods of time. Task Manager reports that the hard drive uh, is just getting hammered at 100% usage. I was getting desperate. This is a pretty cheap laptop, a couple hundred dollars uh, HP, nothing fancy. I got my hands on some free RAM from a broken computer and was able to dump, uh, bump it up to 6 gigs, but still the hard drive was killing me. I started pricing out SSDs. I'm not sure, but I'm assuming that the hard drive in the computer is just a 5400 RPM drive most likely. I was ready to pull the trigger and buy the drive. I was hesitant to spend the money. Spending $100 for an SSD and a computer that only cost $300 seemed wrong in a way. Plus, I was going to be sacrificing overall storage capacity for speed. Before I could spend the money, Fortune smiled down on me. I was reading about the latest release of Ubuntu and read that there was a new official flavor based on Mate, or Mate, I think maybe. I decided to download and install it. Clouds parted, rays of sunlight shine down from the sky and illuminated my new slice of heaven. Okay, maybe I'm being dramatic, but the computer runs so much better than it ever has. Hard drive issues? What hard drive issues? Unity? What Unity? Windows Start Menu? Not on my computer! Some people might be turned off by an interface that is basically GNOME 2 from eight years ago, but I love it. I haven't enjoyed using my computer this much in years. Not to make a long email longer, but there have been some problems, but they were easy to fix. I'm currently stuck with one problem, so I thought I'd bounce it off you guys. When the computer is on and I put a CD or DVD in the drive, I cannot get it to mount. If I leave the disc in the drive, reboot the computer, it mounts automatically, and I can read RIP without an issue. But if the disc, if I pull the disc out, reinsert it, or insert a different disc, the computer will again not mount the disc. If you guys have any suggestion, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Um, I have seen that issue with Puppy Linux way back when. Uh, and I was never able to resolve it. Have you guys ever experienced this? 
I've never had that problem. Usually, I mean, that I mean, you could try. I mean, I know he's enjoying his mate or mate. Um, I would say maybe it's the file manager not reading the the auto mount. So maybe try a different, a completely different, you know, manager or in, interface to see. Because it won't hurt nothing if you install something like KDE or XFCE right. and see if a different file, a, a different environment does the auto mounting correctly. Um, it, it will only take a couple minutes to download the, the update packages to do that and you don't lose anything out of it. So that'd be the simplest solution to see if that does. And if it doesn't, I would almost say does, if you stick any USB sticks in, does it mount correctly? Yeah, I was thinking that that what I would do in that situation is mount a live install of Ubuntu Mate on a USB stick and see if the the CD drive does then. If you know that, if that works, then you know the OS can do it on your hardware and you just got a weird install, in which case, assuming you've partitioned it properly with home and its own partition, format reinstall and see if that fixes it. That's what I would do. But that's... A lot more work than just trying a different environment to see if the environment is the issue. That's true, but I find I've never found uh, reinstalling to be a bad thing. It always makes no. things better. But there's a lot of time involved in reinstall. We're just doing a new environment. Takes a, it's what twenty minutes. Maybe? Girls, girls, you're both pretty. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, and of course, don't overlook the possibility of there being a hardware issue. I mean, yep. if it's a cheap laptop, don't try to take it apart. But have there been any updates to the BIOS of that computer? You would be surprised. Ah, yes, your BIOS update. Dude, I'm telling you, where I work, the BIOS update, this is the first job I've ever had where updating the BIOS ever did anything, but it has done wonders. So I am all about the BIOS. Unlike being all about the base. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I was strenuously avoiding that pun. Oh, but I had to. I had to. It was there. With my I, I just couldn't. Birthday I said today, all about I the to. BIOS. I couldn't think no whatever. So I just right. I was gonna drop it. But yeah, um, I I uh, will say that on my Mint machine, I'm running the Mate version of Mint, uh, just because I like it better. Yes, it is GNOME from eight years ago, but it works. It's not experimental, and that's the nice thing about it. Um, so no, no judgment on you for that. I'll enjoy my KDE, and you guys can go play in the sandbox. I'm just not into the plasmoid thing. I haven't haven't been able to. It just doesn't work the way I work. That's the difference. Um, it just it's not that it doesn't work. It just doesn't work the way my brain functions. I like sure. things. You no, know. it kind of is that it just doesn't work. So. <laughs> Depends on how your brain works. I compartment I compartmentalize. So having all those desktops with a quick, easy get to for me works great. I have the same experience with uh, the Mac OS. It's fine, just doesn't work the way I work. And every time I sit down at a Mac, it's it's like this. This is weird. It's like it's like going from Superman's world to Bizarro world. Everything is a little backwards and slightly <laughs> angled, and it's just it it it's familiar, but it's just not right. It's close enough, but there's something wrong. Right. All you have to do on a Mac is you plug in an external mic and say, Steve Jobs, may I? And then everything works. <laughs> That's all it takes. And maybe yeah. it'll work. So instead of pseudo, it's Steve do. Got it. Yes. Steve, please. <laughs> Steve, please. <laughs> make me a sandwich. No, Steve, please make me a sandwich. Okay. Or Steve, please, Steve. may I make you a sandwich? 
Oh. No, Steve, please make me a sandwich. No, you don't want a sandwich. You want a panini. <laughs> you say panini. We've deprecated sandwich in favor of. <laughs> okay, moving on. So, uh, thanks for the the kind words, Chris. And you got three possibilities there. Uh, Seth's is uh, simple but potentially dangerous um, because anytime you update a BIOS, you run the risk of frying your machine. I say from yep. experience. Because I've done it more than once. Um, first one was and entirely just my fault. I put the wrong BIOS on. And when, it doesn't work when you do that. So make sure oh. you get the right BIOS. Um, you have Chris's idea of uh, throwing on... And you don't even need the whole desktop environment. You could just grab the KDE browser. Conqueror? Is that what it is? No, Dolphin. Dolphin. Okay. See, Dolphin that's how long it's KDE. been since I've used KDE. Um, uh, just grab Dolphin, and it'll install the KDE back in just enough to use dolphin and see if that works um and then my suggestion of try booting from a live environment and see if maybe it's just something with your install and configuration and then double sure or double check and make sure it's mounting usb sticks correctly because if you're not getting if your usb sticks aren't mounting as well then i would say mark's right when you have a bad install yeah something wrong with fs tab yep something yeah something's goofed up and you need to I mean, if we had the machine in hand or on site, we could probably dig through and find the problems with FS, but it's not worth the headache. That would be fun. That would be a fun segment. So somebody sends us a busticated laptop and we spend a podcast fixing it. That would be interesting. Yeah. Over over Skype with like pointing cameras and stuff and screen sharing. That could be interesting. That would be very entertaining. Oh. We found a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let us fix your computer dot com. Yeah, that could be the comedy episodes. Yeah, no guarantee. There you go. See, you'll see that it, that we're certainly not the experts we play because it would be something that a real person would fix in a few seconds. The three of us would fumble around for an hour and then finally send it back to you broken, worse than it was when we got it. No, we would be posted to them. The ways not to do it <laughs> whenever right. they do it. Okay, don't do this, but the uh, EDL equivalent of hold my beer. Yes. <laughs> Results, man. I know 10,000 things that won't work. That's what Thomas Edison once said. Yep. All right, moving on. Will says Steambox isn't overpriced. Uh, regarding your discussion about the high prices of machines with Linux pre-installed on episode 196, my guess would be that the reason System76 and the like charge so much is because the demand is so low that they can't buy components in as high quant- uh, quantity uh, as high as HP, Samsung, or Apple. So uh, we we had that thought as well. Um, and I think you're right. That's probably what it is. Uh, then he goes on to say, I'm, I'm not sure why Mark said that Steam machines have the same price gouging, though. For example, the Asus GR8S Steam machine has been announced to have a price of $700. But like many other Steam Machine manufacturers, they could not wait any longer for the official release of SteamOS. So they released the GR8, uh, which was the same machine, but with Windows. This machine is retailing for around 900 on all sites I can find. Maybe this is happening on other Steam Machines, but Asus uh, does not seem to be doing it. Uh, so, Will, you actually illustrated my point quite nicely. Um, the GRS8 is going to be $700, or GR8S. Yep. But a PlayStation 4 is, is $400. For a gaming platform, you're paying twice as much just because it runs on Linux. 
Well, now, when you that, compare that to a, 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 a gaming PC, yes, that may be a low cost. But compared to a, a turnkey gaming platform, which is what Steambox is supposed to be, it's twice the cost. Mostly, yes. I would agree with that. But you're also getting a machine that's got more horsepower than a standard gaming rig, too. So, it, it, that it, could, But, you know, you're, you've got to look at it in a true apples-to-apples comparison. I am right. buying a turnkey box that plays games. Xbox and, and PS4 are both clocking in around $400. Steambox, the cheapest version, is 75% more. The, the, you can make whatever justifications you want. The thing is, mm-hmm. you're paying twice as much. You're paying a Linux tax. You're paying a 75% Linux tax. There's no other well, way to look at it. Well, well no, there is one other way Linux to look tax. at it. I was going to say... Much, go ahead, Seth. Uh, how much are the individual games... That's that's irrelevant because the well no it is because title. if you're buying a PS4 or an Xbox game you're paying fifty bucks a game if you're buying a twenty dollar Steam game for an equivalent experience once you buy ten or twelve games it becomes a much cheaper uh, system the, the AAA games are about the same price on all the yeah. platforms. okay well if the if the prices are comparable then okay I was just asking yeah the, my thought more is goes along the line of as what. Will was saying where the cost of, of putting it together is more because right. they are, you know, when the Xbox originally released the first Xbox, it was a high price tag too. Yeah. So I'm sure as the steam machines are out or steam, I like this idea of steam machine better than steam box. A steam machine just sounds better, doesn't it? It does. So I'm going to call it that from now on. When the steam machines have been out for a longer time, I'm sure the price will come down. Just like the Xbox and the right. PlayStation's force price started out over, you know, for the first first buyers are always paying the biggest tab, and then as they've been out for a year or two, the price comes down. The nice thing about the Steam machines is the replaceable graphics card. So if even if you do end up, you know, buying a, an early model of a Steam of a Steam machine, you'd be able to upgrade that video card down the road and still be able to play with it without having to buy a whole new system in four years. Like you do with the Xbox and the PlayStation, I, I don't dispute any of those things, and there are, there are certainly justifiable reasons why Linux machines cost more. But to a consumer, none of those matter. What matters well, is I'm paying more for what most people will consider a second-rate experience. Again, that, you can you can say that's not true, but I'm just right. talking about you know uh, Bob the the high school student who just wants to play his games and bob's got so much money that he got from his grammy for his you know birthday mm-hmm. what's he gonna pick he's gonna pick not the steam machine steam box because it costs twice as much to play the same games but it also depends on what his friends are all using too and it also depends on what type of gamer he is so i mean you do have your xbox gamers and they're going to be an xbox gamer forever but you have your people that are a place or not, you know, you're not, you know, you at Mark are not a gamer. So you would not buy a $800 Steam machine. You would buy an Xbox because that's more around your price range that you'd be willing to give up. But if you're going to buy a box for gaming, what compelling reason is there to buy the Linux based Steam OS when you can get a Windows based machine for comparable or less? And do more with it. It can be your gaming machine and your homework machine. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying it all depends on the person. Personally, for me, 
I'm going to go. I mean, that's why I haven't bought an Xbox or a PlayStation 4 is I've been waiting for these steam machines to come out. But now with the, that new reflector or the, I don't know what I, what it's called, but I linked it last week for you guys, um, where you can get the device that will bring it from your big computer in the network and bring it right. to your big TV. Now I'm not sure if I want to go with the steam machine or get the reflector thing. So I'm still on the fence. And so I, I, the, members of the open source community, and, and I am one of you, I use the term we because I am one of you. I know I don't, I don't, people don't think I am because I use words that, that people don't want to use like, you know, reality and market forces <laughs> and, and things like that. Um, we tout our openness as a strength and it is, but it is a market weakness and we are getting crushed in the market. And you would say, well, I don't care. I'm not into making money. I'm into openness. Great, Mr. Stallman. Um, you can you not be into making money, but nobody is going to sell your product unless they can make money. So Steam is in this to make money. Uh, System 76 is in this to make money. Um, and they, they Red won't, Hat is in this to make money. They won't do it if there's no money to be made. Right. And so we, we, we stand on our moral high ground while ignoring other people standing on their technical high grounds. And we stick our fingers in their ears and say, nah, 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 openness, freedom, nah, 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 when they're cranking out better machines for less money. Uh, and even if we agree, and I do, that the OS is a wash. There's parity between all major OSs right now. Um, there's right. Some, some are better at some things, others are better at other things. But in terms of what you can do, parity has been reached and has been that way for a while. Now the issue is platform. So we used to be fighting on the OS. Now the OS is there. We've got to find a way to make the platform work. And and Linux has forever been saying, well, we run on any platform. That's true, but you trust somebody else to build the platform. So it's, right. a, really, it's a really bad position we've put ourselves in. We can't, as an open source community, succeed unless somebody else builds a platform for us to stand on. So another question I always bring up when I, whenever I talk to somebody about Steambox, uh, Steam Machines is now that it's here what is the is there going to be any form of i know i'm sure there's some sort of schematic that steam has said this must be it must be this powerful to meet to have our logo on it but is i mean how what is that where is that line in the sand you know because you could see a machine go for you know for peanuts and not be able to play any of the games but it's got the logo still right so there's going to be Machines running the Steam OS and Steam approved machines, just like there are, you know, machines running Windows and Windows right. approved machines, and Android is the same way. I just don't think there's any way you're going to get around that bifurcation. Um, well, it, you know, here's the danger of that. When Windows Vista came out, there were approximately, and I might be off by one or two. There was about 759 versions of Windows Vista available. And so the mm-hmm. hardware makers would make the version that met the very bottom rung of the very bottom version so they could get the Vista compatible on there. But then they would stick the topmost version of Vista on it. And then the system ran like bleepity bleep bleep. 
uh, that was self bleeping for anyone listening. And so the, the, what was brought away from the marketplace right. was Vista sucks because these machines are crappy. And hey, I loved to badmouth Vista. <laughs> I did it a lot on this show, but when you got the hardware required for the version that you ran, it was actually a decent OS. And so what'll happen is you'll have a steam box level machine right. that gets the steam box gold level and it runs like crap. And the marketplace will say steam sucks. It's not ready. Uh, go away. I'm going back to my Xbox, my PS4 and my Android and my Amazon games and my windows games. You had your chance. So that's the danger. Sorry, I just and you know, to talk. Seth, you 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 made fun of the fact that there were so many different versions of of Windows Vista. There's another po- problem there. Yes, there were many different versions, but there were about 17 machines in the world that could run any one of those. Um, right. So they had a they had a chicken and egg problem. <laughs> True. They were selling omelets when they didn't have eggs yet. Um, so, and I think Steam uh, Valve may be in the same situation here. They're they want to provide us a premium experience, but the premium hardware, um, while it exists, it's not being manufactured in the way that they need it to. So they had to do it themselves, which means they don't have the economies yep. of scale. So everything is more expensive. Again, I understand the reasons for it, but I think it is a it's a kidney blow to the Steam OS, and and I think it may it's not going to prevent them from succeeding, but it's going to hamper the rate of their success because they have to charge twice as much. Sure. So, Will, but when I said the Steam know, machines are people, overpriced, that's what I like meant. me. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. But you know, when it comes to people like me, I'm going to spend that extra that extra dollar because of the fact that I do enjoy my Steam games. Exactly. And so, I if I can get a Steam game that's sitting on my, I'm in the I'm in the environment. I'm going to stay there. Right. You're a fanboy. That, that's what they're banking on. And we make fun because of Apple fanboys who do the same thing well, and yeah. spend twice as much money for comparable hardware. I will be one of those fanboys because I like my Steam environment that much. I have no problem admitting it. Yeah, but but at the same time, we ridicule. We we just need to admit we're all a fanboy on some level, I guess. Yeah, well, and, and the okay. problem uh, will, is... You, thank you for... Okay, go ahead. Sorry, guys, the, the Skype delay has just gone completely insane, so I apologize for stepping all over you. Please, Seth, continue. I was just going to say, the problem isn't the fanboys. The, the goal is market penetration and it's there's not right. enough steam fanboys or linux fanboys to achieve market penetration and and apple has had that same problem right they they they've never dominated the market nowhere near it they have relied on a premium product sold to fanboys and it's you know it's making out like gangbusters there're mm-hmm. billions of dollars in the in the black as a result of it so it's certainly a model that can work, but how many times can it work? Oh, speaking yeah. of Apple, it, it, sorry. I mean, this will be an interesting experiment. I, I just have to say, I saw What's San that? Andreas. I saw San Andreas last night, and there's this one scene in a uh, classroom. And I mean, Apple must have paid money to, for them to use iMac laptops in the classroom because it was like 95% Apple. And then there was like one Asus and maybe a Sony Vio and two others in there. It was like, Holy crap. 
and Apple is not that big. Doesn't have 95% market share. Okay, that's all. Well, yeah, according to television, nobody uses anything but Apple. Um, they, they get prominent placement mm-hmm. everywhere. Okay, so Weird. moving on, Jim says he needs a little help. Uh, he says, I installed Fedora 22 KDE Mate. KDE Mate, is that? I'm not even understanding how that's possible. Continuing on. I installed yes. Fedora 22 KDE Mate on my HP G72 dual-core Pentium 3 uh, Pentium with 3 gigs of RAM, uh, an Intel video chip. The KDE has a lot of text in some programs that were wavy, distorted beyond recognition. So I installed the Mate version. Okay, now I get it. And it was worse. My whole display was wavy. Uh, I could recognize the wallpaper, but not most text. The GNOME version is very minimal and uh, of this effect, an occasional word or two, but I could hit the search icon in the program uh, or another option or take another window and swipe it in front of the offending window and usually clear it up. Uh, GNOME Fedora is usable, but the Mate or KDE, my preferred desktop environments, uh, are not. Uh, any advice? I didn't see any posts on the bug reports to describe this issue. Sounds like a driver issue to me. Yeah, it sounds just like a video driver. Um, and it may be, I mean, that sounds like an older machine, and that video chipset's driver may have been written out of the kernel. So you may not be... You know, and I hate to say that, but you know that's an old a dual core Pentium three. That's some old tech. Well, no, it's a dual so core a, Pentium I, with three gigs of RAM. Well, but it's still a dual core Pentium in a laptop is still pretty old tech. Um, I would almost be sad to say that he might have had a problem. You know, that that driver for that Intel chipset might be written now out of the kernel. So you'd need to go find out what that Intel code, you know, whatever that chipset is, and go look and see if it's been written out, or if there's a um, an actual driver that need or a, a kernel patch that needs to be installed for your chipset. And I'm sure somebody in the Fedora chat room would be able, or the Fedora IRC room would be able to help you out pretty easily. Um, they'd be able to give you all the information that you could probably more information than you need, um, and probably a little bit of flame because you didn't search, but that's my well, he guess. said he did search and he didn't find it. So yeah, uh, so, start yeah, out. The, the only well, advice... yeah, he searched for the bu- uh, bug report. Go ahead, Seth. I was going to say, so when you start out typing, say, "Hey guys, I've did a search. I didn't find anything. Did I overlook it?" That will cut down a little bit on the amount of flame that will be thrown your way. So just you know, CYA in your Linux chat room. Oh yes. is good advice to anybody. Sorry, but definitely do a search for that chipset before you go in there because it might there there might have been a solution already found, and it just hasn't filtered down through the patches, or the worst case scenario, your graphics drivers are written out. Um, I'm sure there's a way to go back, you know, to reinstall those those drivers, but just be aware that that might be a problem. I know they've been cutting a lot of dri- old drivers out of the kernel. Um, and I don't know what the last driver chips that they they cut it out, but that might have been one of them. That that it sounds to me like definitely it's it's a driver problem. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's an unsupported driver. We just you just have to see. But um, you know the fact that you said it's the Intel video chip. Generally, those are well supported. So I'm surprised by that. 
Um, but you know, other than that, I don't really know what to tell you. It's just something ain't right somewhere. All right, next up, David has just sort of a potpourri of comments. Uh, so we'll jump in there. He says, hi, guys. I wanted to say a couple of things regarding uh, the what is the malware episode, uh, but mostly aimed more toward the pre-episode commentary. Uh, in Chris's response, excuse me, in response to Chris's Fedora 22 no longer having yum, I'm sure you're aware of aliases in your bash RC file. So Chris could just save an alias yum equals line, and that would probably be fixed. Uh, it's a weird, it's a bit weird that, uh, that they would just deprecate yum though. While not a hardcore Fedora user, I'm rather attached to yum and think it's the second best package manager I've ever used. The first being Pac-Man for mainly for nerd reasons. Now, in response to short, fun games that aren't complete cash grabs, I know that you're most likely talking about mobile games, but Nintendo just released a game for the Wii U called Splatoon, where you fight against a team of four people for three minutes trying to get the arena filled with as much paint as you can. The best way to describe it is a combination of Team Fortress 2, Super Mario, Sunshine, and Jet Set Radio. Wow. That's a combination. Um, there's no camping at spawn points. There's no paid for DLC yet, and it's fun. Now, I understand that most people are not as big a fan of Nintendo as I am, nor do they want a Wii U, especially when it has such a terrible name. And you were talking mainly about mobile gaming, but I felt the need to throw that out there. In response to the actual content of the episode, I agree with you. Richard Stallman redefines words and uses them under his definitions to win his arguments. I don't know if he's no longer needed in the world of open source software, but I do think his role should be tuned down a little. I think I mostly agree with Brian Lunduke on the Linux Action Show Season 21, Episode 1. He's, quote, negative in the freedom dimension uh, in saying that Richard Stallman says uh, that he's against big corporations and yet uh, gets his money from a big corporation. I don't know. I think Brian says it much better than me. That's all I have, David. So um, a lot of stuff there. I, I don't have a Wii U. I don't want a Wii U. Um, so enjoy your Splatoon, but not for me. Yeah. What, you guys have any comments either way? It sounds like a fun game, but or I don't have Jet a Wii U. Set Radio. I was going to say Jet Set Radio is an awesome game. If anyone has never heard of it, go get it. Play it. It's worth the time. I don't know any of those games at all. Me either. Yeah. Jet Set Radio is fun. I think there's even a, a version. Oh, maybe not. I thought I saw something going up on the Android market when I was for Jet Set Radio, but maybe maybe I was just dreaming or, or something. Anyway, that's a fun game. All right. Uh, any other comments, uh, Stallman or otherwise? Chris, were you you weren't here for the Stallman one, were you? So uh, you don't you weren't? Yeah, I was. Weren't, I was okay. here for the Stallman one. Yep. I didn't remember that. Okay. Uh, anything else before we move along? I, I, we gave Will so much time. I need to give David just a couple of seconds. Well, I mean, David seems to be in agreement with us. So um, I, you know, what can you say to somebody who's it's blind important. as much as he yes. is? <laughs> David, you're clearly a very intelligent man. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Rick says, we were accidentally funny. I find that we're accidentally funny very often. Um, he said, Mark, the Seth interview, you had one of the most unintentionally funny moments in the show history. You were discussing Seth's green, dream job and said, quote, I think that's interesting because that thing you picked when I said you could write your own world, you picked a thing where you were an elite and you're telling people that they're wrong. I'm not making a judgment, but that's a central part of who you are. You want to be right and not only be right, but tell people that they are wrong. Would you say that's an accurate assessment? At that point, I said to myself, 
he's not going to do it, is he? He did. He then disagreed with you and proceeded to tell you that you were wrong. Classic. <laughs> nice. We tried. So, Rick. yeah, I, I, I didn't catch that. But uh, thanks, Rick, for uh, making Seth feel bad all over again. <laughs> I, I think he, um, I set him up for that one, right? There's, there's no way he could do anything but agree with me there. Because if he did, dis, disagreed with me, he was proving my point. So, uh, yeah, probably not the best choice. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on. Zach uh, needs some career advice. He says, I really enjoyed the Chris and Seth episodes, but I'd like to hear an all about Mark one as well. I'm a middle school computer teacher, so I understand your education references and comments. Since all of you worked for a school and then left for greener pastures, would you mind doing a segment on how to transition from a different career into oh. IT? Um, I'm looking to get out of teaching after uh, eight years of it, and I have realized that my heart is not in it. I'm not working. I'm I am working on a master's in computer information systems, and would like some advice on how to proceed when I finish next summer. I have a wife and two small children, so quitting teaching and then looking for a job is not really an option. I have no qualms about leaving my area or state if it means better life for my family. Um, I've had many questions on how to proceed in the next uh, phase of my life, and you guys have been in similar spots, although you have always been in IT, and I only teach about it. Thanks for EDL and all you do. Zach, um, any comments there, guys? That I can say that for me, you know, it would be cool to do a transition uh, a episode on our transitions out of education. Um, I think it would be an interesting topic because we both, all three of us, come from different points of our lives. You know, Mark has the this. You know, you were rooted heavily in education, and then you moved out with your family and you relocated. Even where I'm on, a, I have a younger family. Not quite as long, you know, deep roots, but I didn't move. I'm just still in my same town and moved to a different company. So, and then Seth, I, you bounced around to a couple of different jobs, and I don't know all the back ends, but yeah, we we all we're, we're all in different spots of our life, and I think it'd be a really cool, in, an interesting show about how we transitioned out of education successfully. <laughs> I don't know that I could offer any advice because I have stumbled off balance backwards and, and not knowing what I was doing into every job I've ever had. Um, it's, it's, I've never had a job where I said, you will be mine. Yes, one day you will be mine. No, I've just all been bumbling along. Somebody once asked me if I were to write an autobiography, what would the title be? The title would be Bumbling Along because that's how I feel my life is. I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, big baby Huey. Hey, look over there. And suddenly I fall into something amazing. Uh, so... My advice to you, um, Zach, is be really lucky. Uh, work on that. Increase your luck skills. Seth, you have any comment? Well, <laughs> the, the way I got my job, um, Linux got me my job, even though I'm in a job where I know I use no Linux at all. Um, but it opened the door to recruiters in the tech field. I have interviewed, I have applied for hundreds of technology jobs and gotten like none of them. Um, no, wait, there was one. Um, and that came through an ad on Craigslist of all places. But most of the jobs I've gotten have been through temp agencies and the temp to perm routes. So, um, I, you know, 
we've talked about it several times. If you want to set yourself apart, if you're, if you're learning, uh, information systems, you're most likely learning, uh, Windows world, maybe some open source and just concepts as opposed to actual software. Pick a Linux distro, you know, something maybe in the Red Hat community, if not Red Hat and play with it learn it, get involved in the communities of a couple of projects, whether it be Red Hat or Docker or something else like that, and build yourself up in them. And then, you know, whenever you apply, just mention your beginning Linux skills. And like I say, when the guy, when I, we had our Linux interview, I got about 40% of the questions right on that. So I wasn't an expert, but I knew more than just, you know, Linux is a different version of Unix. So, and then that got me high up in their placement where it got me this job. So that's how you get a job or that's how I got a job is I went through an agency because they know how to uh, interview better than I do apparently. And so they, they got me the interviews that got me the job. Yeah, it's the we've given this basic advice before to people getting started in the community. First, become an expert. Make sure you know your stuff, um, and then put that expertise to work. Uh, yeah. You know, get involved in an open source project, as Seth said. Uh, become a, a become known for doing good work. Well, how do you get known for that? First off, you do good work. You find work to do. You do it well. Um, and you know, you're teaching. So summers are a great opportunity for you. Uh, you've got eight or ten weeks there where you're not having to do your regular stuff. Take that time and and uh, you know do a Google Summer of Code or just uh, you know pick a pick a product your uh, project you're interested in and throw yourself into it. It's both a learning experience and an exposure experience. Um, so that when the time comes, when you feel like I need to, uh, this is the job I'm going to go apply for, you have this pre-built CV already there, and it's not spent eight years as a teacher. Um, that's there and that's valuable skills. People will see that because it shows you teachers know how to manage people. So that immediately gives you some cred, uh, in the, in the, the world, you you know how to manage projects, you know how to meet deadlines, you know how to be, uh, meet unreasonable demands with ridiculous timelines and not enough, uh, resources. Most people understand that about educators. Uh, but also you can have this, this, here's this project that I worked on. Here's this code that I submitted and, and this patch and here's this problem that I solved. Um, so how do you get to, to make a transition? First, you become an expert, then you apply that expertise, then you get a job. And I don't think you can do it in any other order. I don't think you can get a job so that you can become an expert. That that used to be the way people got jobs. Not anymore. But yeah, I don't think Maybe it happened. Maybe ten years ago. Yeah, ten years ago. Um, yeah. But as far as the transitioning out of the out of education, um, for me, you know, for for me and I know, and well, all three of us, we were all system administrators, or you know, whatever the title you want to put on on us for. We managed all the back end stuff. So, so for me, moving from an educate from education where I had all, all the keys to the kingdom to a business where I have zero keys to the kingdom was a very hard transition for me. Yes. Um, it, it, it just it takes the wind out of your sails. There are days where I come home and it's just like, man, if I just had two minutes with an admin credential, I could have fixed 30 problems today. But 
because of the policies and the securities that my company deals with, I don't have that ability to. So then I'm forced to bounce it off of seven other departments to get something accomplished, which would have only taken me five minutes. So that the, the there's the transition is going to be tough because you're you're going from a place where you are the top dog, you know, so to speak, you know, the, the teacher is the top dog of the classroom usually, to puppy you know is is a tough transition and just be aware that that is going to be there no matter how where you transition out of um it's tough and just be aware of that let your family know that this is going to be a tough transition because it will be um i would be in a whole lot different place if my wife wouldn't be there as my sounding board when i got home and i could just lose my temper and blow up and then because i'm not blowing up at her, I'm just telling about work. She knows that, you know, it was a bad day and, and you know, everything else. Otherwise, I don't think I could have made the transition. Um, I had a really hard time with it that first six months. Uh, I'm starting to, to find my, my flow and it's getting better, but just get ready for that big gear change because it's going to be there. You know, I, I, I wanted to go back and sort of revise some of the comments I said earlier. Uh, I said you can't um, get a job and then become an expert, but that's exactly what I did at my current job. I, I'm working in healthcare. I'm working on a healthcare uh, system that I didn't know anything about, but I wasn't hired. I was hired for the skills that I already did possess. They, they, when they were assembling this team, they said we're going to need somebody who knows tech, and we can teach them healthcare. Uh, so you need to find those skills that other people already want, and you have them. You just need to find a way to spin them. Again, like I said, project management. Um, you have probably never done project management in a corporate area, but you have done project management. You have you have done lesson plans. You have worked kids through uh, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You have met deadlines. You have you have managed other people in the meeting of their deadlines. You have given advice on how to succeed at meeting their goals. That's project management. You just call it teaching. So you've got to find a way to do those yeah. sort of things, and and then then somebody will say because you have these skills. And because I've met you in person and I know your abilities, I will teach you these skills. That happens all the time. People jump. People transition from one job to another, but they, they do so on the basis of skills they already have. So, you know, in, in, there was a time in the tech world where you could just be the guy who wasn't afraid of computers and somebody would teach you everything you needed to know. I just don't think that exists anymore. It's rare. Anyway, it, it it may be out there, but it's rare. So people are looking, because there's such a commodity market, there's MIS majors graduating by the thousands every year. So they could just go tap somebody who has no experience, but at least has education. You're getting the education. You need to now um, package that education with your previous experience uh, and say, this is what I have to offer. And you need to walk into every job interview saying, I have this to offer you. I am confident that I could make your job, uh, your organization better the first day I'm hired. And you got to be able to back that up. It's not arrogance. It's, it's truth. If you don't believe that, you shouldn't be applying for the job. The other thing, right, the other thing that will come into, come into big play, especially in a corporate environment, is your office skills, your inner office skills when it comes to interfacing with other people. A lot of times the IT department or any of the, you know, cons the computer guys, um, they're either looked down upon or they're put on a pedestal. And 
I know the, my la- my, this last transition, um, my area was a very rough area to get into um, because they, it was, uh, I don't want to say it. Yeah, I'll say it. The, uh, the person that, that I was coming into had a couple of years of bad experience with her, with her coworkers. Not a, you know, a monster bad experience in one time, but lots of little ones. And so now all those bridges are burned between me and the rest of my coworkers because they don't want to call, you know, don't call Chris because he's just that IT guy. Let's just fix it ourselves. And so th- there's a lot of that inner office skills that you, if you, I'm sure you have as a teacher, just make sure you can bring that as a big bullet point when you're going into an interview that you know how to interact, you know how to interact with people. Your soft skills are very strong because of your teaching background. That that's one of the things that you should have in big bold letters is you have great soft skills. Um, I don't know what they're if they're still called. Soft skills, but that's what I went to school, and that's what they were called then. So, um, but it's it's worth the time to make sure that you you have good office relationship skill building ability. And you might any want comments to, on your part, Seth? Yeah, I was going to say you might want to look in um, education IT because the front office, the superintendent, HR managers type people, they salivate over teachers who have gone into tech because I, people looked down on me when I was going for IT work in a school district because I wasn't a teacher. So you have a background in education. You have years of experience in education. So they will count that has years in IT experience. And then you could build your IT experience. And then if you wanted to transition outside of education, putting in a couple of years has tech support in a school district would probably do wonders to kind of bridge the gap if you're looking to go. Cause you know, like I say, superintendent, HR, assistant superintendents, they, you know, it's almost like if, if you want to be a teacher, you need to be in the education. If you want to work in the school district, you need to have a teaching certification. You know, like I say, I, I didn't have teaching certifications, but I had industry certifications. So I don't think they realized there was a difference or something. But um you would be a hot commodity for a lot of school districts looking to bolster their IT department because you're already a teacher and you're already aware of the, you know, there's so many requirements that IT in a school district has that IT in a company doesn't have that you would already know those. And then you would just be transitioning over to IT. So that might be a great way for you to change careers but still maintain something you know, so, and then you can kind of branch off from there. That's a very good point. Um, if you want to stick in the the, the education yeah. culture, um, there were jobs that I couldn't even apply for because I didn't have a teaching certificate. Uh, jobs that didn't need a teaching certificate, jobs that had nothing to do with class, but because this job application, this job description was written um, and copied forward and copied forward and copied forward, and that was still in there. Um, so yeah, that that's a good point. I, you didn't say where you live in terms of states. I I don't know other states necessarily, but I know in Texas and here in Georgia as well, uh, public ed is a sinking ship, and you should jump off with the rest of the rats. But as Seth said, you could get some transition time in there, two or three years uh, before the ship goes down. You could get in that IT experience in the education world, 
and it might be very beneficial for you. Yeah, that would be help. Yeah. yeah. It definitely wouldn't hurt. Um, and then you would, you know, uh, I don't know what your guys' salaries were as an IT and education in your areas, but there might be a pay shift as well that you might have to get used to because I know in my area, um, teachers got paid better than I did. So you might end up with a small pay issue between your transition from out of education to education IT and then out of education IT into corporate IT. Um, but just know that end goal, the corporate IT world usually pays better. So there is that. But he's going to have the seniority of being a teacher. So he's not going to step down to year zero. He's going to start out at year whatever, at least in every district I ever know of, that's how right. they've done it. So I have, I qualify for teacher retirement, not because I was a teacher, but because I accrued enough years in IT, uh, in the education system. So he's going to, he's not going to start over at year zero pay, but true. Um, I made more money when I jumped out of education over into the regular workplace, but in education, I had a lot more time off and sure. it probably worked out to about the same hourly rate, man, you know, granted I had to work during the summer, but I got at least one week off during the summer plus every school holiday. And, uh, you know, that was, yeah. and so yeah, therefore I was happy to work for a little less money. Yeah. yeah, it just, you know, I want to make sure that uh, was brought up because I know uh, um, there were a couple of people that, you know, there, you know, and this could also be something that he could transition to is moving to education IT also gives you free time then to experiment with other things because a lot of break fix can't be done. You know, you're, you're break fixing during the school year and then you're doing a massive change in the summer. So you have a little bit of extra time during the day to play with other environments and, and experiment with, you know, writing script codes or bash codes or whatever else that you probably wouldn't have time to play with a, you know, if you rolled right into an, a corporate IT realm, but you, you would have that time in education IT to basically take it as like a learning job, more or less. All right, that uh, generated... A lot of good discussion. Not a whole show like you asked for, uh, Zach, but uh, good discussion. And and we uh, we we like questions like that because those are those are things we actually know. Uh, <laughs> a lot of this Linux stuff we're making up, yeah. but, but our yeah, own we stories. Sound. Yeah, yeah, we know our own stories. Uh, so uh, we, gosh, we're over an hour already and haven't done any news. So I have uh, heavily gutted the news section, Seth, and I've left you uh, three things to talk about. Uh, if if there's anything there that you just absolutely said you must talk about, we can do that. But we're going to start uh, with uh, a little more uh, talk about the fact that SourceForge is, is singing its swan song. Yes, um, and the article we leaked to this week I really liked it because it pulled in several articles um, that I was also looking at, but um, I just thought it was a great quote. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, SourceForge really seems to be um, doing everything they can to tick off everybody in the open source community. Um, 
I, I don't know how else to describe it, but um, this um, this is a quote from the article. If SourceForge were a person and I were the New York Times, I'd make certain I had an obituary on file right about now. It's obvious that the once essential code repository for open source projects is terminally ill. Although it's just as obvious that Dice Holdings, which took over ownership of the site nearly three years ago, has no plans of letting SourceForge go gently into the good night. So we'll probably see more kicking and noise making until the lights are inevitably extinguished. Um, and uh, linked from a how-to article there says, avoid using SourceForge to download software. Even if it comes up first in a Google search, skip SourceForge and head to the Software Project's official download page. Follow the links to download the program from somewhere else. There's a good chance the project has moved away from SourceForge and offers clean download links elsewhere. And there were uh, there were a couple of others. And then there were several announcements of other projects that still use SourceForge as their major site are are in the process of moving away. So, and again, the thing, this saddens me because SourceForge was, it was the wellspring from which all open source projects flowed that weren't in the repositories if you had a Linux thing. So, you know, it's kind of sad. A pillar of the old web just kind of couldn't make the transition into web, whatever we're on now, 2.9 or 3.2. I, I I think the thing that you said there, Seth, uh, that I agree with more than anything else, is this is this is just sad. Um, the you know the once mighty has fallen, and yep. and I can't think of any other reason than just they got greedy. But they they had to have been making money all along. Maybe they weren't, but I kind of think that this site can't exist in the form that it did for so long without making money. But then a corporate interest got more interested in making more money. And yeah. you know it's it's like trying to to extract more milk from the cow by killing it, or sucking it dry. Right. Uh, it it's just it's frustrating and it's sad, but I also think it's a harbinger of things to come. This SourceForge will not be the last place to to die because of bad marketing decisions. Now you know here's a devil advocate question yeah. for you: um, Could SourceForge come back from that? Yeah, you yeah. Think so I think they can, you, but it's gonna you know, be uh, it's gonna require a lot of of crow eating, a lot of abject apology, uh, and a lot of promises to do things different. None of which I think is gonna happen based on the current behavior of Dice Holdings. Yeah, I think it's I think I think it's a death. Well, song. See, I think this will be the end of SourceForge. Everyone will move over to GitHub. Because that's GitHub is now what SourceForge used to be, but Git, GitHub is a lot. It, right, I'm I'm basing this on an outsider point of view. GitHub seems to be a lot more technical yeah. than SourceForge. You have to have um, uh, SourceForge was more turnkey. You could do your stuff and you could just throw it up there. Uh, GitHub seems to require a lot more on the part. And, and developers, let me know if I'm wrong on that. Uh, and it may be thing. It may be the things that it requires. You know, or our benefits. Um, to it, and it's worth the thing. But th- I think one of the things that people liked about SourceForge was that it was it was very simple for both the developer and the user, the end user. And the ads have been atru- obtrusive for a while, but I was okay with it. You know, it was always the, you know, pause 30 seconds for your download to begin while we show you these ads. Uh, yeah. That's annoying, but it's okay. I'm, I'm willing to accept that. 
because I understand that's the cost of of using the service. Um, but you just go ahead, Seth. Well, and and you said, can they come back? I think that's a different question from will they come back? Because one of the things I don't like about this, um, and it's still that way on SourceForge, you read down and it says, you know, to down and then click the download link below and right under with that is an ad with a huge green yep. download button that is an ad. And if you want to find the regular download button, you've got to like scroll down, not to the very bottom because there's another fake one there, but then up a little bit and then look over to the left and then <laughs> magnify your screen view to like 800% to find that one pixel to get the product and then you've got to say no i don't want to make ask my search bar no i don't want the ask toolbar no i don't want this video download accelerator no i would not like to allow you to install these four things on my machine and i was serious when i said it, no the other it's become not. the go so, of yep. of uh de- developer repositories which is why i i feel that it's pretty much um I think it's, you know, there are still a couple of software packages that live over there that we still, that I still go and get. But man, I think it's a death song. I think this is the end of SourceForge and we will be moving to something maybe better or maybe worse with GitHub. But I think that I don't, I don't personally, I don't believe that SourceForge can recover from these type of problems. It's going to be, it's, it's the death, the death march is played. Let's just let it go away. I think it has received a a fatal injury, but it hasn't bled out yet. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you've ever went deer hunting and you shot a deer, sometimes that deer is dead, but you've got to track it for half a mile before you find the body. Um, other to, you know, and I think that's what's happened. It's been shot and it's wounded and it just, it can't, it might can get away from you, but it can't get away from wow. death. That was morbid. Um, and, you know, according to the ITWorld.com, another giant may be falling, uh, slowly bleeding out. But this time, not because of nefarious activities, but because tr- trying to conform to the laws in the form of censorship. Well, I don't really think it's conforming to the laws. It is conforming to the owner's um, what they want, which is basically we're talking about Reddit and we're talking about censorship. And um, Ellen Powell was appointed CEO of Reddit last January, and many predicted that it would herald a new age of censorship in the link sharing and discussion site. Those predictions appear to have come true, has a number of communities on the sites known as subreddits for people who aren't familiar with it, have been unilaterally shut down, one of which was uh, Fat People Hate, which, you know, they a lot of people use that as motivation to stay healthy. And then one that I thought was just kind of absurdly stupid. Um, somebody used the word trap uh, in one of their comments, which you can go and read the thing. And then in order to be unbanned, the moderator said, you have to write a 500 word essay on trans acceptance. And even whenever trans people said that wasn't offensive. And so they are leaving and VOAT is apparently gaining membership. So Reddit, which um, I believe they're called the front page of the web, they might become not the back page of the web because there's already back page. <laughs> yeah. 
but they <laughs> they might wind up in the uh, dustbin of the web or trash can of so the web. So just a quick aside there. My first experience with Backpages, I didn't even know it existed, was I was trying to find a legitimate for reals massage therapist in Atlanta. And so I typed in massage therapist <laughs> Atlanta and oh my gosh. Um, I was introduced to backpages.com or whatever it is. Um, just a quick aside there. Uh, the, the core ethos of Reddit for a long time has been our users are in control. Um, and the subreddits was, it was amazing. Like we're going to take all the stuff that we did with Reddit, all that you loved and give it to you. And we don't care what you do. Um, and there have been, you know, guidelines, right? But no, no real rules And and the internet, the Reddit crowd, I'm not even going to call it the internet, the Reddit crowd um, is very sensitive to anything that even remotely resembles censorship. Um, and they're going to run to this other service, and the same thing is going to be going to happen. I don't think this is a problem with, with Reddit. I think this is a problem with the community that habits, inhabits Reddit. That's my opinion. What do you guys think? Yeah, it could be. I've never been a big Reddit person. Um, I, I know I go there every once in a blue moon. But I just never find I never find myself wanting to go to Reddit ever. This community just, of people were, were, you know, the dig community for the most part. And Dig tried to make some changes they didn't like and in mass they they ran to Reddit. Um and now Reddit is trying to do some things they don't like. They're gonna call it censorship because that's that's the rallying flag on the internet. Right. Um and so this article written here is not even remotely unbiased. Uh, the wording they chose, the examples they chose, I mean, um, uh, actually, it's some of the things that they're quoting, I'll put it that way, are not even remotely uh, unbiased. In fact, the the opening quote here from Alam Bokhari, uh, who reports uh, for Breitbart, says, when failed discrimination plaintiff Alan Powell was appointed CEO of Reddit. So the the opening sentence is a failure was given, was put in charge. Um, on bias much? No, not at all. Um, and the, the crackdown came after a week of censorship on Reddit. Um, wow. Inflammatory words. Uh, so <laughs> this is, this to me is a, is a, a, community problem and not a site problem not not a reddit problem uh this group of people you know they're probably the many of the same people who inhabit the 4chan environment uh, where you know it's the wild wild west over there and that's what they want and they can't when they can't have the wild wild west at reddit they'll go to voat.co whatever that is um mm-hmm. and they'll they'll be fine there and voat will say yay new users money coming in revenue stream ads and then they'll decide at some point, you know, some of this stuff isn't worth the effort. And they'll start trying to clean it up, and it'll all happen again. I think it's, you know, this is just political correctness gone too far. You know, everybody wants everything to be non-offensive to everyone. You can't say something that somebody could possibly find offensive, even if they say they're not offended by it. You have to take it down because there's a chance they might have been offended by it. And Reddit is just one more thing. And and what you said is true of the flesh and blood world, but the internet is the land of hate and and bile. Uh, Offensiveness is the language of the internet. 
uh, because it's the place where small people can feel big uh, in the promise of anonymity. So, th- th- again, this this is this one situation, Seth. You think was overblown, but okay, I, I accept your your assessment there. I haven't read the article. I haven't been the thing. I don't know. I will accept that assessment of it. But it wouldn't have mattered what had happened if at any point any leadership at Red Hat had tried to exert any control, the same group of miscreants would have taken off. Oh, at least. I don't doubt that. But, you know, at the same time, you can't. I mean, you you've established Reddit has this thing. And you don't want right. it to be this thing anymore. And then, you know, so I, I understand, but at the same time, you have, you know, you have to allow for freedom of speech and you obviously don't think much of it if you can't tolerate somebody whose speech isn't like you. You know, I mean, it, it's not like they were on the main Reddit. They have, Hey, this is our subgroup. We're going to say what we want in our subgroup. We're not going outside our subgroup. It's it's right here. If you don't like it, don't come in this door. This door is this. And they've labeled that door that. And somebody said, we don't want that door here. Even though it's been here for years, we're going to board over this door. And that that's my problem. You know, it, it wasn't like people were defacing the main Reddit page with, uh, you know, inflammatory remarks left and right and shaming people for this and that. They were confining it to their subspace, which was created for that. And Reddit said, oh, we don't like that anymore. Stop it. You're gone. Not even stop it. It's just like it place doesn't exist anymore. Go away. <sighs> okay. Here's, here's least, where that, your that's my take analogy falls apart. And that is that Reddit, the source code of Reddit is available on the web. GitHub, as a matter of fact. Go there, create your own subreddit on your own server, and have all the freedom you want. But the moment you decide to hitch your wagon to my engine, to my horse, when you take up space on my server using my bandwidth, you are constrained to my rules. Period. End of discussion. And if I decide to change the rules, I have that right. I own the server. And, and you can take your subreddit and you can export that son of a gun and you can take it to your own server and have a blast. They didn't choose to do that. They chose to go to somebody else's server and use somebody else's bandwidth and use somebody else's resources because they're not willing to put their own money where their mouth is. They only want free speech as long as it doesn't cost them anything. That's my problem with it. And there you go. Oh, uh, well, and you know, my counterpoint to that is it's not like they started this yesterday. Yeah. But it was again, there for I, years. It's, it's my, it's, and all of a sudden, I look at it as in my okay house. Anymore. You come into my house and I invite you in and you have your shoes on. And then I decide once you're already there that I want you to remove your shoes because they stink and they're dirty and they're messing up my carpet. If you refuse to remove your shoes, I have the right to throw you out. I knew you had shoes on when you came in. I decided after the fact that your shoes should come off. My house, my rules, deal with it or get out. (laughs) Okay. You know, true. I understand that. But it's also like this. Hey, you had this mall. 
I've been here. I have my shop set up. No, I no, try no, to come no, to the mall that, tomorrow. Yeah, and that example, my store is closed. Did they have a chance to export it, or was example, it just Seth, shut down? Implies that there's a contract and there's money being the mall theory doesn't work because a, a person at a mall is paying rent. They have a contract. These are squatters. These are these are bums in the parking lot that the people said were okay. You can be bums in my parking lot for a while, and now you can't be. Well, did they give them a chance to pull their stuff out, or did they just shut down their section? Don't know. But, the again, the open source nature of Red, the answer to that is yes. At any point in the past, they could have at any time exported. It was always there. They just chose not to do it. And until it was, was there a notice that you can't, in two days, we're getting rid of this, or, hey, you should have got this yesterday if you're while working, you had a chance. If, they if had you're working chance, on something and it crashes or and ahead. you lose it, would you be mad at, the, at, 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 you know, somebody comes to you and says, I've lost my file, what can I do? And your answer would have been, well, you're, you're, you should have saved it. So this is the same situation. They didn't have their own back, backups. We are. I'm intentionally taking a, a very um, hardline stance on this because I think <laughs> the problem is nobody ever says this side of the argument. So I'm yeah. arguing it overly vehemently. But as a content producer and owner and server, I have a forum where I let people speak their mind. Right? This could happen to me, and I'm looking at it from my point of view. Um, it's right. scary to think that people could decide that they can do whatever they want on stuff I pay for. And if I don't like it, I have to suck it up and deal with it because of free speech. Just throw out the word free speech out there. And that means you have to pay for my activities. No, I don't have to pay yeah. for your activities. Reddit doesn't have to pay for your activities. You can go to somewhere else. And they did fine. Great. But they're now paying they're squatting under somebody else's roof you got to understand that if you you can have all the freedom you want as long as you're willing to pay for it yep which is why you should right? pay for it but at the same time you can't you can't change the terms of service without giving somebody a chance to agree to you, them you know leave. what my terms of service on my website and says it says i have the right to change things anytime you want and it's up to you to go check that's the terms of service i wrote on my website and Reddit and, may have some similar uh, language like that. And there's a lot of them that have that. That language is there already. You know, I mean, it's it's part of that text that no one ever reads. Yeah, I um, this would be a good opportunity. In fact, I will do it. It's short. It doesn't take long. I'm going to read you the terms of service at LMNOP.com. Let me find it. It's right at the bottom of the page. It's always there. There's been a terms of use and a privacy policy link there for probably four or five years now. Um, early on. So here we go. Acceptance of terms. Use of our website constitutes acceptance of our terms as posted. Uh, our content, content created by Element OP Productions, is licensed under Creative Commons, yada, yada. Um, user content. A lot of what is on our site is not actually stuff we created. Our audience members and website users are smart people who produce a lot of good content. They may come in the form of forum posts, emails, comments on the website, voicemails, and more. We do not claim ownership of your stuff. It's yours and always will be. We do claim the right to use anything you submit as we see fit without asking your permission. That includes things like compiling your posts and comments into a book and selling it for billions of dollars and retiring on a private island, or maybe just reading what you said in a show or reposting it on our website. We may or may not credit you directly as the source of the content. You are responsible for, submit, for submitting only content to our site that you own or have permission to use. If you rip someone off, please do, don't post it here. 
We are not responsible for what our users post, and we do not guarantee it is accurate, legal, or good advice. Disclaimer and limitations. We try to provide quality, accurate, intelligent content as often as possible, but we do not warranty that any of it in any way expressed or implied. We are not responsible if you take our bad advice and lose all your money in the stock market or hack off your own thumbs trying to copy something we talked about. Changes to these terms. We may or not may not alert you to changes in our terms of use. If it's a big deal, we probably will. If we're correcting a typo, we probably will not. It's up to you to check back here from time to time and make sure that you're still cool with our ter- terms. I didn't use language that mo- the legalese, but I did have a lawyer check it over and said it was legal. So <laughs> I didn't say anything about what you could post, but I also said that once you post it, I can do whatever I want with it, including delete it. Okay. And here's the rules of Reddit. Don't spam, don't ask for votes or engage in vote manipulation, don't post personal information, no child pornography or sexually suggestive content featuring minors, don't break the site or do anything that interferes with normal use of the site. That's it? That's their whole terms? That's everything on the rules of Reddit page. So there's nothing on there that says don't Well, make rules of Reddit of in terms people. of use may not necessarily uh, be the same thing. Yeah, there could be a big difference there. Well, that's under site use. Yeah. So that's under, I mean, I don't see uh, terms of service. Okay. I so, see site rules. Much of what I've said may not apply if they didn't set the rules. But at the same time, they didn't They didn't imply any things that they, what you just read didn't say what their responsibilities were either. Like letting you be here. Right. No, that's true. But again, I. You know, I, I don't have a Reddit account. I rarely go there. I, I have a subreddit I look at to come up with shows or news topics for this site, but I rarely find anything off of there I haven't found elsewhere. Uh, so, you know, it's no skin off my nose other than the fact that I see it as another example of in society as a whole of political correctness run amok. And I hate that. And unfortunately, there's nothing I can do about it because nobody cares. <laughs> I care, Seth. I care about what you have to say. We all care. <laughs> well, that was fun. That was a good discussion. Um, should I it read was. our privacy policy right. while I'm at it? Would that just be stupid? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, the next one. We'll next save that we one for the privacy. next time. Um, well, okay. I've, I've just totally... that That got me exercised there because it's... It's a fine example of the entitlement mentality mm-hmm. that um, is rampant throughout the world, but far more so. See, everything is is um, amplified online. We, the what I used to tell people when we talked about internet filtering the school where I was is uh, is the the internet is everything. It is all the good and it is all the bad. It is all there. Yeah. Um, and what we need to do is teach people to be human filters. And to seek out the good and to filter out the bad. Yes, we do our best to make sure that little Johnny doesn't accidentally find porn. But if little Johnny is determined to find porn, there's no way I can stop him. Exactly. Um, so that the the thing is, everything is on the internet. But places, some places become gathering place points of the good and the bad. I hope that elementopi.com and this site is a gathering point for the good. That's what I try for it to be. But I understand that 4chan is also a gathering point. Every, everything needs a sewer. That's 4chan. Um, Reddit is, in a, is a but, great example of both. There's great stuff on Reddit. And there's, there's sewage on Reddit. And you, know, you have to have both. Noble, um, amazing, 
brilliant paragons of people still take a dump once in a while. And that's got to go somewhere. So Reddit is both of those things. But you can't get mad at Reddit for wanting to clean up the sewers once in a while. Yeah, that's that is true. I'm going to say one real one thing really quick. 4chan, don't don't attack us. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't think that anybody at 4chan would disagree with anything I just said about it. No, no. I just want to make sure that we're we're, we're not stoking a fire and pointing the hornet's nest at us. Too. It would not take 4chan to DDoS my site. It would take one 4chan user. <laughs> <laughs> who's bored on a Sunday afternoon to DDoS my site. I mean, AT&T does a good yes. job of DDoSing your site just as part of their regular business. It's actually a service that I get on the bill every month. They, they charge me for that three DDoSes last month. Oh, um, boy. Okay, and the last one, um, that we've been talking about gaming, right? Amazon is trying to get into the gaming market, and like so many things that Amazon does, they want to do it their way from the ground up. Yeah, um, there's just it's a nice little story of where Amazon is seeking talent to develop games. So uh, Amazon is looking for people interested in being part of the tip of the spear for game design and technology at a company that wants to take interesting risk and invest or invent its casting call reads. So the company is 25 listening on Game Sutra for jobs at Amazon Game Studio. So, you know, they are not content to be your Netflix and your Walmart. They want to be your Xbox as well. I, I can understand. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just, you know, it was an interesting story. I'm pretty so I sure that Jeff there. Bezos yep. wakes up every morning and says the same thing we do every day, Pinky. We're going to take over the world <laughs> because that's really what he wants to do. He wants to be the every. In fact, he's he's said that the everything store, Amazon, is going to be the single place. The um, the movie Demolition Man, all restaurants are Taco Bell. Someday, Jeff Bezos wants right. all stores, all entertainment outlets, all everything to be Amazon. It just doesn't matter what you're buying or where you're buying it from. It's Amazon, and darn it, they're they're getting really close. They they're doing a good job. What they need though is the instant delivery mechanism. It's they need to there. fix that. I mean, yeah. I ordered some things. Um, uh, a little four in one laser pointer. So so in my job, I frequently have to tell people, click that button. No, that one. No, move your cursor up. No, it's four options up, two to the left. Right there. Could, could you? T- excuse me. I'm just going to lean over you here and right there. Touch that. So I decided after the 7,000th time of doing that, I needed to invest in a laser pointer. You used to be able to pick those up at 7-Eleven. Not so much anymore. So right. I went to Amazon, the everything store, where I'm an Amazon Prime member, and I said, uh, hey, I, I, I need a laser pointer. So I found these things. Um, it's a four-in-one. It's a, a touch capacitive stylus that'll work a, a touch screen. It's a laser pointer. It's an LED flashlight, and it's a ballpoint pen. All in one little thing. It was a package of three for eight dollars. How could I go okay. wrong? All right. Yeah. So I, I bought that for me. There's two other people that work on my particular team. Three of us. Great. So I ordered that uh, Friday night uh, or Friday afternoon. It arrived Saturday, and I got it. <laughs> and I said, you know what? These are so cool. I think I'm going to get one for everybody. They're cheap enough. I'm going to get one for everybody on the team. So I went back and ordered 12 more. Saturday, they arrived today. So you want to talk about instant delivery, they're pretty much there. 
for you for Amazon Prime. Try, yeah. Try, try try living up in Montana and well, do that. There's that. But you're guaranteed it, it two work. days. If for Amazon Prime, you're guaranteed okay. no later than two days. Doesn't always work that way. <laughs> I just happen to live in a in a center of the country, more or less. So well, uh, you have a hub. You have right. a, a shipping hub right there in your hometown. Yeah. So or within a couple hours of your yeah. hometown. So I'm sure. The, if they do the whole drone thing, they could only get a little faster for me than they already are. I mean, drones would be like a a seventy percent improvement. That's about it. 70% is a lot though. Right. If you figure you figure 100% is next day, 70% improvement would be like what 2 hours later? Right. Yeah. So but for you <laughs> drones would be like a billion percent improvement. Oh yeah. Well, it depends on how far that that shipment depot is cuz maybe even now I don't even think drones would be able to make the, the the there's no battery big enough to be able to haul something to me and go back. Without what's, having to stop somewhere in charge. What's the thing Elon Musk is working on? The hyper hyperloop, um, and the the idea it's basically one of those big suction tubes that they use at the bank. Yep. Um, he wants to suck all the air out of it so it's a, a near vacuum, so there's almost no friction, and fire that sucker along using electronic pulse drives. He's got a test track that he's building, and the idea there is not for humans. That would actually sort of splat a human's brain, but <laughs> but for packaging, if shipping from China. Went from taking six weeks to taking six hours. What would that do to the world? Wow! And so Elon Musk is a big thinker, and he's thinking he's going to do for for shipping what AT and T did when they laid the transatlantic cable. Um, amazing thing! I hope it happens in my lifetime because I mean, imagine you buy something from a distributor directly in China and get it next day for for no additional shipping cost, no that overnight shipping. Crazy. No, you know, no paying for the the Concord. It just comes through this Hyperloop thing that's been there. So, go Elon Musk, make it happen. Definitely. That that you bring that up, and that's a very intriguing concept because that would be it'd be well. It probably would still take a little bit of time to get to inland United right. States, China, but it'd be instant delivery from China to a port city. Well, it depends if there are stops along the Hyperloop. At you know at the at the Pacific coast, then in the middle of the country, because you're you're already digging under the the ground, right? You just put yeah. that thing up uh, uh, on rails and run it along flyover country, um, and it doesn't it doesn't seem With, you know and, until it explodes and something rockets out at thousands of miles per hour. Um, and then you have little RF chips so that you the <laughs> RF chip triggers when the you know for the point where it's going to pop yeah. up and go up. There you go. You can do an RF chip read on that. That would be, but that speed would be intriguing. You'd have to have that thing starting to trigger miles ahead. Right. Well, you could have package tracking in real time. You could actually yeah. watch it on Google Maps. <laughs> like Pac-Man. Walker, 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 walker. If they ever do that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna insist that Inky, Dinky, Plinky, and Clyde, whatever their names are, show up at some point. That would be fun. See, we just billion dollar idea up in smoke. <laughs> I just I just give ideas out here on this show. I do it all the time. <laughs> um well this is this this has been a, a wide ranging show. It's gone all over the place. So Seth, take us back in history. What happened this week in history? Okay. June the fourteenth, eight 
1822. Uh, dug this one out of the archives for our faithful listening audience. Charles Babbage proposes a difference engine in a paper to the Royal Astronomical Society entitled Note on the Application of Machinery to the Computation of Astronomical and Mathematical Tables. So he theoretically proposed a computer. Uh, it was never really built. But if you took uh, the history of computers as part of your eighth grade computer literacy class, you learned about Charles Babbage and yes. Ada Lovelace, I believe, his assistant, who was probably smarter than him. Um, so there you go. That happened this week in history, 1822. Way to go, Charles. So just an aside there, what you said there reminded me. I watched this week the the imitation game, the story of um, um, Alan Turing, uh, starring yeah. um, Sherlock Holmes. Um, oh. uh, I probably would have enjoyed the movie a lot more if I didn't know so much about Alan Turing, but it's definitely worth a Netflix. Just my little plug cool. there. Um, they didn't. Turing didn't come off very well. In the movie, they kind of made him out to be a, a jerk, which history says he was a jerk. Um, but they didn't. Yeah. Anyway, it it was a neat story. That the the really most fascinating, and and this is all history, no spoilers here. The most fascinating point was once they finally broke the Enigma code, they couldn't use it. Yep. They had to strategically decide when when do we save lives and when do we not and we've got to have a plausible reason because we can't let people know that we've broken this code because the moment we break the code they change the they change it and within a few days it's useless anymore uh, and we, so we've got to be able to use this and and I thought they really handled that really well um they threw in what I'm pretty sure was a fictitious element but one of the characters had a personal stake in that and essentially they had to let somebody he loved dies die to keep the secret Right. Um, and you got you got to think that those kind of decisions were made every day, um, and that was that was compelling. So imitation game, it check it out. To, yeah, that's it's on my list. Of- yeah, if I remember correctly, there was a day where uh, they told Winston Churchill that like London wasn't going to be bombed, but somebody else was, and then so he goes and stands out in the you know in the height of some building somewhere and does this great rallying cry for the british people that at the time it was oh my gosh look at him he's so great but after the war it comes out later that um he had been told beforehand that they were planning to bomb another city that night Propaganda, so, baby. you know they got some pr value winston churchill was, ac- was brilliant at that um yeah yeah and you could argue it was very much needed at the time because the terror weapons were working all right, uh, and then rounding out the show, Seth, what do you have for us in our uh, show closing spectacular this week? What do you have to bring down my productivity so that you look like a better hiring opportunity? We're going to be talking about this a lot coming up over the next <laughs> few weeks. This is a link to a YouTube video. Um, Sharknado oh. 3 is coming. I think that's sci-fi. Tom Hanks running in one of these scenes. Next month. I think he may have a cameo there. <laughs> the sharks look even less real and more computer generated. Uh, but Mark Cuban is in it. That's awesome. Mark Cuban is the president. Penn and Teller are in it. That's awesome. I love Penn and Teller. <laughs> a shark and Hasselhoff. Oh, don't Hasselhoff. Sharknado three. Oh hell no. That's what it's called. That's awesome. Oh. We're gonna be talking about this 
probably from now to at least the 23rd. It's a few uh, layers of horrible just waiting to show up. Yeah. And that's what, what I love about Sharknado is the first one was popular in spite of itself. And, and what's the name of the group, the company that makes them? Um, Asylum um, just took Asylum. it and ran with it. And like, yeah. hey, let's catch this cow as many times as we can. And it's working. It's great. Um, may there be um, Sharknado yeah. forever. Yes. I say Sharknado, Sharknado today, Sharknado tomorrow, and Sharknado forever. History buffs will know what I just did. There. <laughs> Thank you. you Nobody else will know well. what I just did there. Uh, but. Okay. Um, okay, so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can tell me how wrong I've been every time I open my, my mouth on this show. That seems to be the favorite pastime of our audience. Uh, bring it on. I've got a thick skin. Tell everybody he was picking <laughs> on me, y'all. Help. It, it, I've actually had comments like that. You are so mean to those guys. Um, I don't know. Maybe I am. Um, so uh, go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. That gives you a nice little form that sends, goes straight to my inbox and gives you a priority, the nice little yellow tag there that says, hey, this is a listener. Pay attention. That bill pay, that can wait. You read this one first. Um, <laughs> Or you can send an email to edl at elementop.com that goes to all three of us. If you uh, fear that I am censoring um, the, your mail, uh, that's the way you can do that. Or you, can, if you want to be right here alongside us in your own voice, you can dial 559-IMOP. That's a free Google voice call. Uh, leave us a voicemail there and we'll read it on the show. Um, I do think we're going to do in the near future a uh, an All About Mark episode. It has been requested, um, so let it be written, so let it be done. So if you have any specific questions, uh, go ahead and do that. I would like, to, I would love for that show to have a, uh, I, I want to tell you in advance when it's going to be, I want to have a, a live audience there, and I want to do it AMA style. So this is going to be ask me any, literally anything, and I will answer it. That's a spooky thing to put out now, there. Now the answer may be none your dang business, but ask me anything. <laughs> And I will answer it. That's what I want to do. So um, let's look at, I, I'm not sure when we'll do that, but probably uh, uh, two or three weeks from now, because I want to give you plenty of time. Uh, but at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time um, on Sunday night, we're going to do uh, a, a, a Mark, I, I run a podcast, Ask Me Anything. Um, so that'll be fun. And since, you know, if you guys don't, uh, don't show up, these guys will be in charge of, of interviewing me. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but and again, uh, elementop.com, click the contact us button, us button, let us know what you think um, about the show. If you like it, tell other people about it. If you don't like it, let us know about it. If you don't like me, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, rate us and review us. I appreciate that anywhere you go. And if you want to give us money, there's Patreon, there's Audible Link. Uh, you know, there's lots of options. There's Tip Jar on the website. We even take Bitcoin now. Um, I don't like to beg for money, but, you know, sometimes money is a nice thing so uh that's all i got to say seth chris as always thanks for being the great host listener who stuck with us for dang near an hour and 45 minutes thank you for hanging out with us and we'll see you next week because that ends this episode of everyday Linux. <laughs>